Hi, I'm Amana. And I'm Mawinia. And you are listening to The Elephants in the Room. Hey guys, we're back for our second episode of our brand new podcast, The Elephants in the Room. Thanks for tuning in. Today, we're going to be tackling another elephant, and that is free school meals. But before we dive into the meaty part, how are things going with you, Amana? I'm good. I'm back in Durham. Um, so I'm doing lockdown here. The, the, another lockdown. <laughs> by Boris. So, but yeah, I'm kind of not feeling too bad about it. I've got a lot of deadlines this term, so I kind of need to be a bit boring anyway. So I'm just going to get my head down, get on with my work. I'm going to try and do quite a lot of running um, because I've just signed up to a half marathon. Oh, wow. So I'm going to just try and get back into that get into healthy habits i've been watching some really good tv as well like if i don't know if you heard of small acts the series that's been on the bbc but that's been that's been definitely like keeping me um motivated it's nice to have something to look forward to sounds really boring but yeah i'm just kind of like feeling quite motivated to work hard because this for me is a big one like deadlines wise but um Mm -hmm. and despite the fact that we've had some like bad news recently with continued lockdowns and like mm-hmm. people being stormed in right America like I feel like positive about this year I feel like I've got a good feeling about it yeah I feel to sing like it's the start of something new by high school musical yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I'm actually feeling okay about this year I know that I need to work hard and I'm just mm-hmm. at the moment and also need to do some more job applications which seems like yeah. about that but how are you doing I'm doing good. I'm doing good. It's a new year and I just started a new job. And so like you, I'm so grateful just to even be working during this lockdown and this whole pandemic and earning money. However, like lockdown can't be forever. Like I miss going out. I miss my friends. It's just becoming a bit too much. But literally this working week, my body feels so shattered. And it's not even like I'm doing anything exhausting I'm not even doing manual labour. I'm literally just on my computer responding to emails, doing courses. But I think just engaging your brain in like all these training and these modules, it's just so tiring. So yeah. I've been saying it before I started working and I'm still saying it now that I am going to marry Rich and I plan <laughs> to be a housewife because this wonderful work is joke. It's a joke. <laughs> uh, I actually remember you in school saying you were going to marry a footballer, so... Right, and saying I wanted to be a housewife. And, like, I didn't know what I was talking about, but now I know. I know. I was onto something. Honestly. Our next section that we usually cover is, because both of us have a real um, place in our hearts for food. So we always reserve a section of the podcast to talk about our dishes of the week. So, Mawinya, what is your dish of the week? What have you enjoyed eating? What I've enjoyed eating this week is a ribeye steak with homemade chips. And I was inspired by Chef Gordon Ramsay, who's on YouTube, to try this out because, again, I am a big meat eater. And one of my favourite cuts of beef is the ribeye steak. It just has the right amount of fat and the right amount of flavours. Like, they just literally jump on your tongue. So I chose a ribeye steak because it's the easiest to cook using a pan. And so the best thing about steaks is that it doesn't require a lot of seasoning. Like I've talked about in the other episodes, you don't have to use as much seasoning with a steak. Literally just the basic salt, pepper and onions. And I added soy sauce because I thought it would give it a rich, tangy taste, which it did. And then I made homemade chips on the side, which literally I'm going to start doing all the time. I'm never buying chips from the chip shop again. 
all the big pack in Iceland because you're getting 15, 20 potatoes for a pound and you're making like a portion of chips out of two potatoes. Mm. It's so cost effective, so much more healthier and genuinely nicer. So that was my dish of the week, a ribeye steak with homemade chips. What about you, Romana? What was you cooking in the kitchen? So for Christmas, I got a recipe book, a Spanish recipe book. So it's it's particularly Catalan, so like Barcelona recipes. And I've been trying to kind of stay on the veggie wave, like not eating too much meat. And for New Year, I actually properly want to do it. For January, I want to be completely pescatarian. So I'm allowed to eat fish. And so I made this dish from that recipe book. And it was like cauliflower, roasted cauliflower with like an anchovy and shallot and tomato creamy sort of sauce with it which sounds kind of weird but you chop up all the different like aspects of the sauce like it's fresh tomatoes and you let the anchovies like dissolve into the sauce and then Mm. you cook you roast the cauliflower and then you have the you also use the leaves of the cauliflower and you like cook those Mm -hmm. in butter in a pan and then on top of that you drizzle this sauce and genuinely it was so nice and then I used the leftover sauce the next day to make like a linguine with with spaghetti honestly it was it was such a good recipe and it was just quite like it was nice it was light but also cauliflower is actually quite filling so yeah that's what I was about to say I can't imagine every time I've had cauliflower it's been as a side and I literally hate cauliflower so Mm. it being like a meaty part of the dish is interesting to me no honestly I've I hear a lot of people say that that cauliflower's not that nice but I think if you cook it well it can be really nice it can be like the way I cooked it, it was like almost like melted in your mouth you know it, okay. it was so it was really nice and actually I cauliflower's grown on me over the years so yeah, I'd <laughs> recommend I would recommend it and the cookbook was great it's quite nice to receive like a hard copy cookbook yeah I feel like we always go online or we just make it up but yeah. actually having a I love the way that they lay out the cookbook and they have all the images and it's like nice to hold it and have it in the kitchen and stuff so it's definitely a proper grown up present yeah I know I'm so grown up <laughs> <laughs> no not at all but it was good it was it was a good dish and also I don't really cook Spanish food that much so that was interesting so next up we have our conspiracy theory where we take a look at a theory that has caught our imaginations recently and discuss how true it could possibly be. There's no smoke without fire, is what I always say. So maybe some of these conspiracy theories could actually have some truth in them. So Mo, what have you got for us today with regards to a conspiracy theory? So this conspiracy theory ties nicely into our topic of food for this episode. And so it's one that I've heard since I was in primary school and I used to roll my eyes, but as I've gotten older and older and I studied biology, I'm starting to believe it. This theory is about fast food restaurants growing mutant chickens. And this has been going around for ages, as I said. And what the theory is about is that there are fast food chains like KFC that are genetically splicing chickens to create these like Frankenstein animal chickens for optimal mass productions. And so they may be making chickens without heads or without feathers. Or the one I heard, which I do believe, is that they're making chickens with extra wings. Because don't you ever think, like, you're getting four chicken wings for a pound. Like, how is this making sense? A chicken only has two wings. Mm. Anyway, it's just gross. But while it might seem that there's it's, this is fan fiction or something out of Simpsons Treehouse of Horror, it's not without precedent why this theory is floating around. And this is simply because of genetic engineering, factory farming, and literally the overall widespread global madness that have created food insecurity on our earth. And so anything really is possible. 
even genetically modifying chicken. However, fast food restaurants like KFC, they have gone out of their way to disprove these claims. And in all honesty, it might just be a conspiracy theory that, you know, we've kind of run away with. What do you think, Amana? From a one to 10, are they creating mutant chickens with extra wings? Mm. To be honest, it wouldn't surprise me. I think that... I know, um, right? Yeah, I think that a lot of these companies their main uh, ambition is to make money and to they're not let's be real like when you go to kfc or go to mcdonald's you're not going there because you're going to get a really nice cut of meat you know you're going there because they they make meat that's not that good tastes really good so like when mm-hmm. you eat a chicken nugget i realized this recently when i had i bought veggie chicken nuggets the corn ones and i was like skeptical about them because i love chicken nuggets and I tried it and I was like, this tastes exactly like a chicken nugget. And then I was just thinking, <laughs> you know what? That just shows that this meat that we eat in places like McDonald's mm. is just so not like who even knows what's in it. It's just a mashup of like random things. <laughs> so I wouldn't be surprised. I feel like there's definitely been like lines have been blurred with regards to what's acceptable right, right. and how what's accept- how, you know, how we should be treating animals when it comes to big companies like that. And the reason I would be inclined to maybe think that there's parts of this conspiracy theory that are true is that i think in places like china where they have these and america where they have these huge farms mm-hmm. it's like i mean you've got like thousands hundreds of thousands of animals mm-hmm. being farmed in these places and they're not being treated well and the main the main ambition the main focus is just efficiency and making money and getting as you know producing as many sort of cuts of meat as you can so yeah I, I'm not particularly surprised about it I've watched a documentary about something similar or not similar mm-hmm. but it was a similar kind of debate about like what mm-hmm. we're eating and it was talking about how in the past like chicken you got from I don't know one area of China would be different to it would taste different to chicken you right, got from right. another area of China but because these days all chickens are being fed the same stuff basically huge farms in America and China are being like the corn that they eat is literally transported from these farms. So all the chickens are eating the same thing, which means that all the chickens taste the same, which I think is kind of sad because we're losing like the ident- like the kind of individual taste that you might get from a region. So yeah, all of this stuff about genetic modifying in order to produce more, produce better cuts of meat. I don't know. I feel like it sounds kind of convincing to me. What do you think? I think while it sounds convincing, I think... It's not true. And I say that because we do have um, government agencies. Like, for example, I know America has the FDA. And here, when we were in Europe, Europe is very strict on food and on what can be given. So, for example, like whilst in America and China, they allow mm. growth hormones in their in their animals. Europe has abandoned that. They don't allow any kind of growth hormones. So I'll say, I would say quite comfortably that while we were in the EU, I, I would definitely say no, there wasn't mutant chickens being created. But now that we've unfortunately left the EU, mm-hmm. I think mutant chickens can can come about. I think they may be on the yes. rise. So um, <laughs> So I think that is the conspiracy <laughs> theory for today. But I think it is important as consumers to think about what we eat. Even though I'm a big meat eater, I still try to source organically, um, free range. Those stuff are really important to me. Yeah, I completely agree. And even just cutting out meat a little bit, even if you don't completely go vegetarian, just eating exactly. a bit less can be can be good as well. We've just discussed that big conspiracy theory about food, which perhaps naively I was like inclined to believe in some ways, but maybe I'm just, I mean. But yeah, food is a daily necessity and it's something you can't live without. 
today's elephant in the room is diving into the politics of state provision of food in the UK. So we're looking at free school meals. Free school meals is a topic which has been in the news a lot over the past year with Marcus Rashford calling for the government to protect the vulnerable in an open letter to Boris Johnson in June 2020, which asked that the government extend the free school meals scheme to poorer families over the summer holidays. So as a result of this campaign, there has been a lot of discussion about the provision of free school meals in the UK and what's going to happen to that and why it's necessary for the government to be providing these kind of basic essentials for people. Today we want to discuss why the provision of free school meals is such a contentious topic and how should the government and society be going about ensuring that the most vulnerable in our society are protected, starting with basic things like having enough food to eat. So Mourinho, could you start us off by just giving us a bit more background into the history of free school meals in the UK and how that came about? Yeah, because I was thinking, when you look into the history of free school meals, the recent government's behaviour and attitude towards hungry children, it, it won't really surprise you. So when education became compulsory in the 1870s, thousands of poor children went to school hungry. And so the city of Manchester started giving children free meals in 1879. And this eventually led to the Education Act of 1906 to encourage schools to provide free meals. And in 1944, the laws were passed to ensure that all these free school meals were nutritious for school children. And in 1946, free milk was introduced. However, by 1980, and surprise, surprise, with the Thatcher's Conservative government, they ended the provision of free universal milk. And that act, which required nutrition to be prioritised, was scrapped from government. Thatcher's government encouraged the privatisation of school meal services. And what this did is that it allowed private companies to bid to provide school meals. And this meant that they didn't have to meet the minimum standard of nutrition and that they could get away with being cheap. And so this is why the government's recent U-turn, what we're seeing right now, doesn't surprise me. Because even in 1986, the Social Security Act cut the number of children that were eligible for free school meals. And this was at a time of rising unemployment and inflation. And what we had was that junk food was being heavily promoted and pushed towards Mm -hmm. children. And it was really only in 2001 when they realised that, wow, 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 they have obesity problems, that they decided that it was time to cut back on some of the unhealthy and junk food promotion. And then the NHS made it a priority in 2001 that the school meals had to be nutritious. So as you can see, Amana, like going through this history, there has been this kind of silent battle that we might not have known about mm. that's been going on towards free school meals and whether or not that they should be given. But with everything that's been happening recently, Amana, where do you think things are at the moment? Obviously, in our lifetime, we've seen changes with regards to like the provision of free school meals in schools and also the, the food itself that we're being provided by school. I remember Jamie Oliver right. sort of, like, transformed that when we were at school. And I think in joking sense, like a lot of people do make jokes about how Jamie Oliver ruined our, our meal, you know, ruined school, yeah. school meals for us because like we don't get we didn't get like the smiley faces anymore. We got the... um. Like more healthy stuff but on a serious note it is so important that um mm-hmm. schools are providing this nutritious food and we've seen this debate kind of get quite heated in recent and particularly in the past year so as i mentioned earlier marcus rashford started a campaign in the summer during the coronavirus pandemic as first lockdown they'd provided free school meals for eligible families and then once the summer started that was 
ended because usually the free school meals are only provided during term time, which personally I think is ridiculous anyway. So then Marcus Rashford wrote this letter and things changed and they provided free school meals throughout the whole of the summer holidays. But then more recently, the government have come under fire again because they refused to continue the provision over October half term of 2020 saying that they'd already given money to councils in England to support families. This then led to a petition which got over 990,000 signatures and local businesses providing food, like fish and chip shops, just providing food for families, which is kind of ridiculous that in a society we live in, that like local companies are having to do that. And then the government has again been criticised for their insufficient provision in light of UNICEF announcing in December that for the first time in its 70-year history, they would be providing food for hungry children in the UK, pledging £25,000 to School Food Matters, um, an organisation which works in which are providing 18,000 nutritious breakfasts to 25 schools over the two-week Christmas holidays and February half-term to children and families in Southwark in South London. After this, the government have now announced that they will relaunch its free school meals voucher scheme to support disadvantaged families. So as we've seen throughout the last year, there's been the government cutting things, people campaigning, people complaining, and then they come back. So it seems that like this issue of free school meals is contentious. And there's actually perhaps people who don't think that it necessarily should be constantly provided. Um, so as we we kind of discussed the facts, where we're at right now, during term time, free school meals are provided. What do you think about, the, you know, free school meal provision, Mourinho, and like whether, you know, that's obviously necessary, but what, yeah, what, what are your thoughts about it and, and also the government providing it in the holidays as well? I think my thoughts about free school meals is that for the government to decide to say no during a time where it's, it's a pandemic, we've had the highest unemployment levels, we're in a recession, mm. families are actually struggling to feed their children I think it's very I would say call on the government to not decide to to even have to do a u-turn is shameful to not think of your citizens as a priority I think around 18% of people in England are are eligible for free school meals and Mm. you know when I was listening to other talk shows and other um, articles I think some people like to think that these are people who are not working who are just sitting at home have a flat screen tv and then just living off the government but you find out there's actually people with jobs, you know, people who there's not their minimum wage doesn't cover enough for them to be able to provide for their family and to provide the basic necessity of food. And so I think for the government's attitude not being um, and I don't want to say caring because caring makes it seem like, oh, they need to. You know, people always talk about this mummy state and this whole thing about um, a nanny state and whatever. But mm-hmm. what is the role of government? Like, do we not put these people in these positions to actually protect and speak on behalf of the people and so when I see how the government behaves towards the free school meals it makes me think like the government's not acting for the world of the people the the government's not acting on behalf of the people it doesn't make sense and so especially during term time you know it's when you're not doing anything that you're more hungry you know if you're at school I'm sure food's on your mind but not as much but when you're at home and you're stationary boredom makes you want to eat more like just being stationary makes you want to eat more so to deprive people of that during October half term where it's cold like it's just very very mean and so I'm happy to see that you know even in our capitalistic society that you did have businesses that were deciding to um, step up and provide for the community but it still is very sad to see how the government responded to this. Yeah I think you mentioned a good point which is kind of I think at the heart of this issue about Mm -hmm. the responsibility of the government to provide free school meals Um, yeah 
And I'll say to you, Amana, do you think do you think that it's because you know free school meals is associated with being um, for Black and Asian people that take free school meals? So many people are against it because when I did a quick Google search and I typed in free school meals, it's Black and Asian people on the images, and I'm like, okay, yeah. like, do you think that plays a reason why people keep thinking that you know we don't need them? Or the so government are you itself. saying that it's like inherently racist? The I'm saying is there some inherent bias? Mm. Um, I think I think a lot of issues like this are tied up with race, definitely, mm. because you can't unpick like you know they are so inherently wound up with each other. Yeah. But I think in this particular situation, it's that if you don't have money um, and high social status in our country, like you don't have as much say or importance yeah. when it comes to making decisions and so in terms of free school meals the people are going to be worst off are going to be people who are in difficult like who are who are like poorer or in more unstable situations like financially so I think it's going to affect the poorest people in our society the most and I think yeah are like really sadly those are also the people who have the least power to change the situation right mm-hmm. and actually the reason Marcus Rashford was able to change the situation is because he is a public figure who has a lot of money mm-hmm. and people will listen to him. I don't think it is necessarily specifically racial, but I think unfortunately because of because of the inequalities in the UK, um, there's going to be a lot of the a lot of the poorer kids who are receiving free school meals. There's going to be a massive community of of ethnic minorities who are going to be in that group. So I don't think it's it's necessarily an issue that's about explicitly about race, but I think that like inevitably race does end up coming into it because the the victims yeah. of the situation will be. But no, it's a tricky question. I think also the problem is is that it's like self perpetuating. So as soon as like a stereotype is made, then it kind of like continues. To yeah, because the stereotype itself. is not even like true because you have like free school meals is very high, especially in the north of England as well. So that's why I think the stereotype that it's like black and Asians who are like, you know, just taking these free school meals or just using it irresponsibly, I think is false. And I, I do think personally that some people do have a narrative that it's a particular set of people that are on free school meals. So therefore this is not our problem. But I think that narrative is false because I think it's a nationwide problem in England, you know, People in the north of England, people in the south of England, people are struggling because of lack of finance. You know what I mean? Basic human rights are that you mm-hmm, should be able to mm-hmm. eat and like you know live off the food that you have. So I think in London, yeah, mm-hmm. I understand how that might be. Like ethnic minority communities who are more affected, but yeah, like you say, yeah. in the north, a lot of these communities are majority white, so mm-hmm. it's perhaps a stereotype. But I don't think I per I can't speak for anyone else, but personally, like I would never be thinking, oh these people are like just I, I don't know anyone anyone I personally know who's had free school mm-hmm. meals that never scrounging off a system or trying to like you know, no one on exactly. free school meals is thinking oh yeah I'm getting free like you know our free stuff exactly. you know what I mean they're thinking oh this is like how I live my life this is how I get through the day but I also think like you said there's stereotypes about people who mm-hmm. are on free school meals being like a certain type of person or like I think that there's there's all these stereotypes which yeah. when it comes down to it you're gonna have mm-hmm. really safe happy homes where the kids are on free mm-hmm. school meals and that is not because the parents aren't working hard and it's not because they've got a bad home life. Exactly. It's, like, it's literally because it's a state you know people aren't being paid enough to, to afford to feed their kids so mm-hmm. I don't think I think that that stereotype needs to be kind of dealt with dismantled it's sure. like one of the things that I've found really interesting from like reading about it and also from our own personal experience of 
having friends who are on free school meals at school and stuff mm-hmm. there's definitely a stigma around the concept of free school meals people feel embarrassed if they not Literally. everyone but I think there is like a certain stigma where people because I remember someone I know who was entitled to free school meals at school but didn't like didn't take the the free school meals mm. and basically ended up coming in school every day with a packed lunch um which their parents were able to find a way to make for them but they didn't want to accept free school meals because they didn't want to be one of those kids who's on free school meals and that is just messed up that there's this stigma attached to it um, I know but I feel like schools don't make it better because I can't remember if it was an article but I feel like there was a separate line if you're on free school meals or they would announce it like if you were on a trip and you had free yeah. school meals they would yeah. announce it and give you like your packed lunch exactly. and stuff like that others people and make people feel embarrassed about their situation and so I think so if you've got those attitudes growing on from school like you're really seeing it as people grow and become adults and people who've never had to even face the whole reality of being on free school meals or never had proximity to people who are on free school meals don't understand that it's not like something that you have pride in do you know what I mean it's literally Mm. because I know people as you said like whose parents are both working and still it is difficult and if anything it shouldn't speak on the people it should speak on our society and the our employment wage and how do we have that we have employment paying people so low wages and expecting mm. them to live on it it's, it's absurd because a lot of that narrative is basically kind of implying that people are just using the state to Mm-hmm. almost like oh, I'm getting money off the state or I'm getting I'm getting the benefits of the state but not actually giving anything back but actually for some in some situations it's actually more financially viable to not be working because people are earning so little and that is literally a really bad like precedent to be setting where you're it's, it's so demotivating and also just it's depressing if you're if you're working really hard every day and you're not earning enough to even feed your kids, um, like we've, I've, from research I've done, it's there's supposedly thirty percent of children in the UK living in poverty, and one point mm-hmm. nine million people in the UK rely on food banks. That was the figures for twenty nineteen to twenty twenty. So, I would actually really recommend looking at the Trussell Trust, who are a charity trying to end food poverty in the UK. But one point nine million people in the UK relying on food banks that is crazy because that means exactly. that in addition to support the government are giving it's still not enough for a lot of people and going back to Marcus Rashford when you hear about him talking he's he's a good example of someone who's had the personal experience of being on free school meals and struggling growing up like his mum struggling to kind of budget and feed the family he talks about that this kind of example of his mum would buy seven yogurts for the week and it'd be like one yogurt a day in that example it's a good anecdote where you can see how his mum was trying to give him nutritious meals Mm -hmm. but it's so limited it's really like you've got to be so kind of organized about it and I just think the stereotypes that people are being lazy about it or are Mm -hmm. so unhealthy because actually it's if you don't have enough you don't have even have the choice like exactly it's never helpful to assume straight off that someone's right. scrounging off a system. Right. And I think the worst thing about it, about the whole situation, that it is children, you know, they haven't chose the circumstance that they've been born into. Like, they didn't choose the family. So I think in, in some aspects, it's like punishing children for choices that weren't their fault. And I think that's, I think if we can get to a stage where people are defending the government's decision to not provide free school meals, it's very sad. And I think people need to take 
are good look at themselves where they want to blame the children for a parent's inability to feed them because of so many factors including the system employment living wages cost of living so many things sometimes we just need to think that these are literally children who have no agency of their own who literally depend on a maternal or a paternal figure to care for them and sometimes our choices in the way we vote or where where we align ourselves to punishes those who truly have no voice or agency mm. at the moment. Yeah, and I think that dynamic between the parent and the child is so important. If you look on Trust or Trust um, on their website, you can see stories of people who are, on, who are being helped by these food banks. But also in there's an article by The Conversation by David Beck, I think. He did a, a report on food poverty in the UK. And he talks about with food bank users, the the experience of food poverty was seen as a form of embarrassment. Many of the people I spoke to um, in food banks indicated they tried to hide their poverty from younger family members. There's a lot of stigma around it. Right. There's a lot of parents feeling like they can't be honest with their kids. There's a there's a children's book which depicts like the relationship between a mother and her child as she's trying to feed her child and make sure that she has enough to go to live on each day and the mum goes without food so that the kid the, that her girl can eat and I think that there's also you know we've spoken about the kids there's also massive pressure on the parents to kind of stay strong for their children and also right. mm-hmm. um, be almost like hide the poverty and actually yeah we'd love it'd be great if these people weren't in poverty in the first place but then for also to have that added pressure of basically being be strong for your for your children obviously that is the role of a parent um, but no one should have to be like hiding the, the reality of their situation from their child and also their child to then not feel like they can be honest with their friends about their situation. I think that it's so important that a first step is made in this in response to this crisis that we actually just start talking about it more openly. And that exactly. being on free school meals and using food banks is not a stigma. It's so, It's terrible that people do have to rely on those because perhaps their jobs aren't paying enough or whatever right, yeah it is. and but we live in a first world country about it openly and it shouldn't be something they're ashamed of yeah i completely agree with you Amana. that stigma thing of like how do you think we could make it less of a stigma like for example in school like you said that when we went on school trips and stuff there would be a separate line for three schoolers and i remember that happening and yeah how do you think we could do better at there being less of a stigma around this kind of thing. yeah so to your question I think that takes us nicely into our two wishes in a star so one of my wishes would be in terms of reducing the stigma is firstly openly talking about it as we've been doing today and having more conversations around the fact that sometimes it's not a fault of the parents sometimes it's a system and I think a way to reduce the stigma and a way to prevent it from being a shameful act it doesn't have to be done so openly like here's a life of free school meals here's like there's ways in which someone can receive a benefit or receive a provision from the state without it being explicitly done for someone to have to be in a position of shame. And another one of my wishes would be for, I think literally for employment and wages to be increased. You know, things such as the gig economy and um, zero hour contracts, they don't provide enough for people to truly feed their family. And I think the scary thing is, is that over the years, a lot of work has shifted towards the gig economy and zero hour contracts in which Mm. some months can be really good really great but if like now we're in a pandemic it leaves people very insecure in terms of food insecurity and financial insecurity Mm. so I think having um working contracts that actually meet the living cost especially in London but elsewhere in the elsewhere in the UK I think that would be one of my wishes 
But I think a star of this situation that has come out is that this conversation is being talked about. And I think the pandemic has shown that like, no one is too far from being on universal credit or being entitled to state benefits. And I think if you live your life and you pay tax to the system, there should be no shame when you that comes to the time where you need the system to survive or to live on that you take that. So I do like that the conversation has been opened and people have had a humbling experience of what it is like to, to depend on the state. What about you, Imana? What would be your two wishes in a star? My star, that would probably be... I think that, as we've discussed, like the work of Marcus Rashford and him having been in a situation himself and then coming back and, and kind of trying to change the situation for other people and fight for what he believes is right. Um, It's a positive story. Like We've seen how his campaign has actually produced results and people talking about things and people saying this isn't okay we need to be providing support for these people has actually brought about change because we've seen that with a letter he wrote we've seen that with a petition that happened and we've seen that with UNICEF Mm -hmm. getting involved like we have seen the government responding so there are results sometimes when people say this matters yeah Mm -hmm. and I think that it's it's encouraging that it is someone like Marcus Rashford who's it's in a way it's sad that someone who it it takes someone who's been in that position to be able to empathize and say this is important but at the same time I think that hopefully we're seeing like a changing society where people in positions of power are not necessarily always people who've been to Oxford and Cambridge and are white and male but actually there's other people in the conversation now so that's a positive in that I think that change has happened as a result of people speaking up but I think that two wishes would just be that I think the fact that we're even in this position where we're talking about like the provision of extra help for these people um and the fact that yeah we live in a in a very developed society but we still have these issues of kids perhaps going hungry over the holidays and things scary so I think that a wish would just be that those basic needs are made a real priority by the government and that actually real change happens that is that isn't just reactionary you know like we're not mm-hmm. just reacting to a situation as it arises but actually that place things are put in place because actually i think that would would help with the shame um yeah and the stigma because if, if there was like very established systems where people were like this is a thing that we accept and we don't when there's not the same uncertainty about it people know that they can rely on something and then it kind of becomes part of it's, it's not something to be ashamed of and i think that that's the other wish i would have that there is we would start to have less stigma around these topics because 1.4 million children in the UK qualify for free school meals. That's a lot of people, a 17.3% uh-huh. student population. So it shouldn't be a stigma around it. It could be me. It could be you. It's not like these stereotypes, which are most of the time completely false, should be, we, we need to address those. I mean, to just be right. much more like real about the fact that people in food, pov- like in poverty in the UK is a thing. And it needs to, and it's something we could all easily slip into and we need to think this is my problem too you know it's not just the person over there's problem like we all need to be trying to actually make this something that's more discussed and addressed properly yeah preparing for the future um, agreed and in that so in that vein what do you have any recommendations this week for people to read up or listen or watch to kind of delve more into this topic I would say the articles that I've been reading that provided me with so much information for this topic has been um, The Guardian and The Conversation. Mm. So I definitely recommend looking at those two uh, newspapers, articles online to get some more information on this topic. What about you, Amana? 
Yeah, The Guardian is a great one. They also have a podcast which is called Today in Focus, which you may listen to. I recommend it. They always have really good episodes each day. And they actually have a specific one on Marcus Rashford, Free School Meals, and Boris Johnson's Political Own Goal, which is um, an episode about the Free School Meals topic. And then also One Extra Talks have done a podcast called Food Poverty, Who Gets Free School. If you just want to learn a bit more about it and understand the background behind it, that's a good one to listen to. And then, as I mentioned before, Trussell Trust is a charity who work to stop food poverty in the UK. They're a really good charity to look at. They have loads of personal stories of people who've been helped by the food banks and they just give the figures and help help you to understand a bit better and also you can donate to them and then one other thing that I mentioned earlier was the the children's book by Kate Milner which is called Today is a No Money Day and it's about a mum and her daughter and what it's like to live using food banks and not having enough food in the UK and I think that it's cool that someone's written a, a children's book about something so real and is not shying away from that topic. I just think it's it's good that this conversation is happening. Um, yeah. yeah. That's all that we have for you this week. Thank you for listening to the conversation of free school meals. We will be back with a different elephant in the room. So this is bye from Awinyo. Bye from Amana. Bye from Amana.